0: For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild.
0: Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is March 28th, 2023. And today we have a new series for you. So we just got done with the one giant mistake and we're rolling into a new one and i couldn't be more excited because um i i don't know man we're getting into the x's and o's we've talked about it the last uh couple podcasts of one giant mistake but like you know we we just got done with awesome deer stories even though they didn't turn out the way that our you know our our guests wanted them to but today we're gonna to feed the X's and the O's beast. We're gonna get into the nitty gritty of Troy Pottinger and his year-long approach to deer season.
2: Yeah, this this series is going to be uh, it's going to be something else, in my opinion. And as much as we all loved the one giant mistake, and you could hear, you know, Aaron and myself asking questions to our guests throughout those episodes. These questions are going to get deep, and they're going to get serious. You know, we're we're going to be, we're looking to, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's here. And the fact that we're going to get, we're we're going to get Troy on a different side of what anyone's seen, you know. And we're going to, there's going to be some scrape talk, there's no doubt. But we're going to get a, a year-round approach with Troy, and it's going to be, it's going to be exciting because It's almost going to be like a a semi-live what what Troy has going on, you know, not
0: only in his hunting life, but his personal life also. Yeah. And so this right now, as we outlined it, um, we're a little late to the game. We had honestly just come up with this series a couple weeks ago. And uh, the way we're going to break it down is each episode, right now I know we're going to have at least seven episodes and we're not going to run them seven continuous. They're going to go live when things are the relevancy of what we're talking about is going to be happening. So um, we're a little late to the ballgame. So basically how we're going to break down these first couple episodes are tonight or today's episode we're gonna break down january february and march now i know this is the end of the march and now we're talking about it so it's a little bit of like uh at the end of it but we're gonna try to do it at you know somewhat at the beginning of this phase so the next episode will be april may june um and that'll that'll drop sometime in april could be middle april could be you know pre- we're gonna try to try to get on track here but um we, we didn't want to do them consecutive. We want to break them up and, and keep them relevant. But uh, that one, like I said, is going to cover three months. And then when we get into July and August, Troy has uh a, a August 31st uh, opener date. So we're going to... And then that, that episode, episode three, will cover two months. And then once we get into the season, we're going to... Each episode will cover a month. And it's going to be like real-time stuff. And what we're going to try to do is... like let's say we drop an episode at the beginning of the month and you know, in his approach of what he's about ready to do for that month, um, the next episode at the end of the month is going to validate what happened there. It could have went all wrong. It could have went all right. So you're going to have like, you know, you're going to to wait a little bit, but you're going to get the tee up and then you're going to get the payoff, you know, however that is. So that's what I'm really excited about, about on this.
2: Yeah, and especially, you know, when, when you think of Troy Pottinger, you know, not only is he, is he killing, you know, to me, just you know, very high-end class, mature whitetails on a year-in, year-out basis. But he's what's always amazed me is he's doing it out in an area that most people just don't even think about whitetails. I mean, but it's also an area that sees not only, like, is the the predators such a problem out there, but Mother Nature can be wild. And I'm sure throughout these episodes... You're going to talk we're going to hear about snow depths that most people don't hear about we're going to talk about dealing with wildfires we don't deal mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff and that's all things that he's dealing with so that's what's going to make the episode so interesting like aaron said where you know troy's going to lay out a plan for you guys in april may and june but when we circle back at the end of the june when he talks about what's ahead but we recap what kind of just happened. Everything, you know, could go perfectly as planned or it could be completely washed because of a forest fire per se. You know, that's not stuff that yep. we hope happens, but the reality is it does happen. So it's going to be really interesting.
0: Yeah, it is. And you're going to see Troy and, and on some of these episodes, you're going to have to see his sons on there too. So I, I do, I should have said this probably at the beginning, but um, I'm a big proponent of like dubbing these series, you know, we had one giant mistake. We got season 22 and season 23. Um, we've named this the pottinger way. So, because this is literally breaking down how Troy does it. And the good thing is about, you know, has David said, you know, he's doing it in a remote area where not a lot of people are, you know, the Hill country and out West and everything. But the thing is, I've taken some of things that Troy said and implemented them on the flattest of flat lands, and I've killed bucks because of that. So it can, it can, you can apply it to any any of your scenarios. You just gotta kind of learn how to apply that. Um, and it, it, we're not just talking to the Western guy. It does it does value them, but out here east and the midwest and everything you can apply these as well so we're gonna have a lot of info we're gonna try to keep this under 24 hours per pa- per episode um <laughs> <laughs> uh, no we're, we're shooting for like you know hour and a half two hours at the most because when you get all three of us together we can go down so many rabbit holes and um we're just gonna try to keep it high level and dive into the weeds a little bit on some things but uh try to keep Troy out in the tracks because Troy is very passionate about this and I don't blame him at all, but, um, he's got a lot of things up in that big brain of his. And, uh, I know it's all valuable stuff, but I also am looking at the longevity of this podcast. So I would like to roll this series into following years, you know, so try not to boil the ocean right off the rip. So I guess that's the, uh, the gist of her.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when, when you talk about you know, Troy, you know, you learning some things from Troy and then applying it to your, your hunting scenarios here. You know, when I think of, when you say that, it makes me think of this where it's like, you know, for our listeners, your, your guys' job is to tune in because Aaron and I, we're going to pull out as much information from Troy as we absolutely can. Troy's going to open up basically his playbook of a 365 day year round whitetail tactics. It's, for all your listeners it's your job to be able to learn how to apply it to your situations that yep. that's that's always the difficult part but when you can start doing that that's when you know Troy's information becomes valuable to you no matter where you are
0: for sure yep i couldn't agree more so we're at uh, 9 minutes on this on this intro let's let's rip off some some partners here and then we're going to get Troy right on the phone because i know this is going to be a lengthy podcast and i don't want you guys to just sit there and, um, you know, not value all of it. So let's rip them off here. He looks Broadheads, you guys, we got a lot of codes here. And if you guys try these out, try the Broadheads out. They are proven. I posted a, a picture on Instagram not too long ago of a head, you know, one of the prototypes I shot this year. Now it is the FJ4. It is live. It's got bleeders. It's a right bevel. Um, the bleeders, it is, uh, they're a quarter inch and they are mean machines. Um, use the code FALLHX10 to save yourself some money at helixbroadheads.com. Uh, we just got our strings. Um, the strings are here. They look awesome. Platinum ABB strings from America's Best Bow Strings. You can code, use the code the fall to save some money on getting yourself a new set of strings for the primes uh thoroughly enjoy those um mm-hmm. g5 prime i'm gonna i'm gonna segue right into her g5 prime these rev x2s are very nice they're set up now they're shooting very good um I, i'm i'm thrilled i i'm like a little kid in the candy store to be honest <laughs> yeah. with you it's like a it's like a it's like a new season i'm like let's go you know i know i know <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm ready for some plush grass out in the yard and just be able to yeah. rip off shots night in night out
0: Yep. Yeah. So go to g5prime.com. Check those out. Uh, Looking over my notes here, Latitude Outdoors. Can't forget about them. Uh, I mean, the most efficient, lightweight, ergonomic hunting mobile gear that you can ask for. And it's not just saddles. I mean, you can, they're sticks. You can use those for, you know, a tree stand as well. So we're catering things to all mobile hunting and just trying to get you into more remote places and just kind of explore new areas. You know what I mean? Get outside your comfort zone and uh, try them out. That's what I'm, that's my goal this year, getting outside of my comfort zone and being comfortable, being uncomfortable. So, uh, latitudeoutdoors.com use the code, the fall podcast, all one word, save some money on that. Next is Exodus trail cams, exodusoutdoorgear.com. A lot of cool stuff going on there. Check out their YouTube channel as well. They put out a lot of content, uh, on the YouTube channel. But you got the the Rival cell cam, which is the budget-friendly, $179.99 for that camera. Then you got the OG, which is the render. You can get the SP18 solar panel bundle, which I recommend because this, the price of lithium batteries. I mean, come on. What, what do we got going on here? But I did have a guy reach out to me. I don't know if I mentioned this to you. He gave me a little tidbit. If you have a bed, was it a Bed Bath & Beyond, or Bath & Body Works, one of the two, he said that's where he's found the cheapest lithium batteries. Pro tip, right there. Bed, Bath, and Beyond. You just see a dude r- rolling in, just like big burly guy. You know, he's got like 18 trail cams. You know, going into Bed, Bath, and Beyond and, you know, don't wear you know your uh, your hunting gear in there because you, you, might, you might smell when you come out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, the only problem with that, that that's a great tip because I've heard about it but i think a lot of people have kind of uh, let that secret out of the bag because if you get online they never have them in stock anymore. Great. Great. Yeah, lovely. Okay. I we that, i'm late to the game also on that on the yeah. secret.
0: Yeah. I guess that cat's out of the bag. So all right. So next uh method archery new arrows got the arrows. We got 18, both of us did. We've already broke down our arrow setup. Um, we are going to do a podcast on that as well and just kind of break down our gear. David and I are going to do that because we get a lot of questions on that stuff. I think it's so weird that people ask us. I think it's cool, but I think it's weird. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe it's just, I don't know, I guess, but uh, we'll break it down. I mean, that's what people want. So let's do it. Um, sorry, I'm just ripping through these last is Garmin Both sites. Go to Garmin.com and, uh, Oh, I forgot uh, method archery, you can use the code fall 10 to, to, to save some money on arrows. So, um, now Garmin bow sites and watches, uh, check them out. I'm looking for a new watch for my wife too. So she's into the workout stuff and, um, yeah, looking for a watch for her. So, I mean, not just for dudes, women too, or kids, they've got kid watches. So check them out at Garmin.com. All right there it is the lights can stay on we're not gonna flicker we're not gonna the, the bills are paid let's uh let's get over to this interview with troy and uh let's have fun doing it the pottinger way all right welcome back uh to another episode of the fall podcast but today is going to be episode one of the pottinger way like we talked about in the intro and today we've got the troy pottinger and his son ty with us thanks guys for uh joining us tonight and i'm super excited about this
3: good to be here Aaron. Thanks for having
0: us. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So David and I, in the intro before this uh, that everybody heard, we kind of broke down what this series is going to be all about. It is called The Pottinger Way, and this is going to be at least, like we said, seven episodes. Might be a couple more. We'll see how it goes. But uh, today, what we're going to be covering, you're going to see me looking at my notes, but uh, we're going to be covering Troy, Troy's January February and March tasks. Now, this is going to be going as you guys listen to this. It's it's late February right now, so in podcast land, it's late February, or I'm sorry, March. Um, and so we're a little bit behind the, the ball on this one. We thought about this late to the game, but you know, it's better late than never. We're gonna we're gonna get back on course here. Um, but I'm super pumped about this because. Um, we're going to really dive into that big brain of yours, Troy, and uh, really get out some uh, whitetail knowledge that I'm super pumped about. And hopefully this will be something a little different than everybody else you know, that's had you on their podcast. I'm hoping this is a little different feel, a little different uh, info that will break down a little bit. So we'll see. How are you guys feeling about it? Are you excited?
3: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think, there's, I think you and I've talked about it before, Aaron, and I know I've talked to DJ, DJ about it too, but you know, a lot of times podcasters get a hold of you just to talk about the one, maybe or two topics that you're kind of known for. And the truth is, my whitetail hunting is a couple of the topics that, that I've kind of been known for or people want to know about from me. It's like a hundredth of everything that we're really doing. Yep. Because we're year-round. This is, I mean, Ty and Jess both have seen it growing up that this has been a huge part of my year-round life every year since they've been around, you know, since they've been alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad we got to catch Ty on this because you're home for spring break, right? Right now you're, Yeah. and you're, you know, you're, you go to Montana state, big football player, which is awesome. And I'm glad we could catch you here because you're a big part of what your dad does. And he's, I mean, he's taught you to where you're at now and you're very successful in the whitetail world as well um i want to see you hunting soon but i want to see you playing on sundays so <laughs> <Me too. laughs> let's hope you're playing on sundays for a while and then the hunting no will pressure, come later no pressure. Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> that's where i'm at with it but um <laughs> let's let's start there let's let's start uh let's bring ty into this a little bit troy and kind of give a little background on you know when you started tie out and um and and where he's grown to today and where you're at right now just just give us that little little paragraph
3: i uh both the boys i have a picture of both the boys shooting bows with me out in our driveway and i think ty was about 18 months maybe two years old barely walking and i think jess was that would put jess at you know four or five um i used to pack the boys both of them in the backpack shed hunt when they were too big too little to walk uh i wanted the boys to be around me so when they were real little i just threw them in the backpack and carried them mm-hmm. and both of them really enjoyed it but ty kind of really fell i think ty really fell in love with the bow hunt at a young age like really young tyson elected to never rifle hunt really ever he i think he shot his first deer at 9 years old with a rifle and he told me dad i'm done i'm done rifle hunting I want to hunt him with a bow and Ty can jump in and interject if I'm wrong on my memory. But uh, even before nine years old, Ty was in the tree with me filming at an age that people wouldn't believe if I told you how young he was with the camera in his hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I have a picture of him when he was in kindergarten sitting in a double tree stand with me and we're hunting a whitetail buck when he was in kindergarten yep. you know he just he just always wanted to go he just always wanted to go i never forced it on the kids and jess and i hunted a lot together too but he really fell in love with the bow i think the archery part of it young
4: yeah for sure i i would say i fell in love just shooting bows when i was young like seven eight years old i really enjoyed when i got my first bow just shooting a bow a real so yeah. I wasn't obviously when I was nine years old. I couldn't pull back forty pounds, so I, I wasn't allowed to shoot a bow. Um, but I killed a deer that year with a rifle, and then the next off season, I was able to get up to forty pounds as a ten year old. Forty, and I was like, yeah, 45. I was yeah, yeah I was 45. like yeah, I'm I'm done rifle hunting, Dad. I just want to go bow hunting with you because I can just go sit with you, you know, yep. shoot the bucks that you don't want to shoot because he shows me all these videos of. You know, back, back then when I'm 10 years old of giant bucks to me walking by him that are, you know, and nowadays, obviously it's different, but for sure, when I was that age, I was like, well, geez, I can just go sit with him and shoot a nice buck with my bow. And that's, that's really what happened the first couple years I was hunting. I shot my first buck with a bow when I was 12, um, in Idaho, 11. Oh yeah, I was 11. He
3: was 11. He was the youngest, youngest Idahoan to kill a whitetail buck with a bow. Yeah, Cause really? Ty, by 11 years yeah. old. He worked on pulling that bow back. It was, I think it was 45 pounds. Yeah. He got to 48 pounds when he was 11 years old so that he could legally hunt with a bow and arrow because Idaho has a poundage rule. Yeah. And when he was 11, I did the research back then, very few 11-year-olds can
4: pull that much poundage. And they had just changed the rule that year to younger. It, and
3: they had just changed the 12-year-old rule of hunting in Idaho down to 10 yeah. if you had a parent with you. So Ty, at 11 years old, hit it with perfect timing. Was able to pull the bow back, and he literally went out here behind our place and killed his first buck on his own. When you were 11, you yeah. were 11 years oh, old. 11. That's awesome.
0: That
2: that that is that is really cool. I I actually got a question for you, Ty, because it you hearing your story kind of reminds me of when I was a kid. That you know here in Michigan, you know it's changed since then, but here in Michigan, when when I was a kid, that bow hunt, you could start bow hunting when you're 12, but you couldn't, then you started gun hunting when you're 14. And a lot of the kids, when I was growing up, like they didn't really bow hunt right away. They kind of waited till they were 14 to gun hunt. But I, you know, I grew up watching, you know, my, my uncle, my grandpa, they, they were, you know, big time bow hunters. And I kept thinking, I'm like, why would I want to wait till half the season's over to gun hunt? Like I, I want to learn to, you know, shoot archery and, and go bull hunting at first. Now, you know, your first, your first deer was with a rifle, but was there any thought where you're like, shit, my dad's hunting like a whole half of a season before I could even hunt Was like, I got to get out there and learn how to shoot a bow.
4: Yeah. So the deal with that is when I was nine years old, I shot my first deer ever with a rifle and that was in, Washington Uh, in Washington where it was the rules were different so you could Younger as long as you had your hunter safety, which you can get at I think seven or eight, whatever it was So that's the only reason I don't think I would have hunted with a rifle off the bat honestly if I didn't have to I was just it was the only way that I could go out and Shoot my own deer was with a rifle in Washington. So my first year is actually in Washington and then once the rule changed and as like i said as soon as i shot that first year i was i was all bow hunting because i've watched him always hunting deer august 30th in idaho you know mm-hmm. in the summer we're hunting deer out here end of the summer start i mean in september so yeah i was i was always wanting to go bow hunting right away um before school started for me honestly that first week was awesome for me because i didn't have school that first week was great because we both didn't have school he didn't have to teach and we could go pound it for a, for a week really hard.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's a great point too. I, I didn't even think of that. You know, you know, a lot of our listeners, a lot of people know Troy and they know he's a school teacher where you're like that, that's such a great valid point. We're like that opening week, you know, he's not, you know, dad's not back to work yet. You're not back to school yet. No. I got another question for you here, Ty is, you know, dad's, you know, he's, he's killed a lot of animals, but not only just white tails, he's killed also, you know, species now, have you always kind of been drawn to just that whitetail? Is that, is that kind of like, no matter what, that's what you love the most?
4: Um, yeah, I would say when I was that young age, obviously shooting a deer first kind of lifted me into that and then also just always watching my dad. But I would say that when I was really, when I was like that 11 to 14 range, I really got like wanted to go elk hunting a lot and I did and I loved elk hunting. But when I killed that big deer when I was 13 with the bow, um, that big Washington, my first big deer, um, that was, when I killed that deer, it was all over. It was like, I don't care about anything else. Like, (laughs) I don't care if it's September 20th and there's a giant bull bugling up behind my house. If I have a big deer on camera that we're hunting and I can go hunt him, I'm going to hunt the deer, even if I don't, you know, obviously –
2: me too, buddy. <laughs> yeah, dude, dude. I'm, I'm the same way, man. I'm the, I'm the, I don't know what it is, dude. I do not know what it is, but like, I'm just, I'm stuck on freaking white tails.
4: Yeah. For, for me. And I, I would say a lot of us, especially my dad, for most white tail owners too, it's, I'm a very competitive human being. Obviously I play a very competitive sport at a very competitive high level. There's nothing harder to do than kill a giant mature whitetail. And it's such a competitive thing in myself where I'm like, I'm trying to beat them, but I'm also trying to get better as myself trying to hunt big whitetails. No discredit to hunting big bulls. Those are not easy to kill whatsoever or or whatever you're hunting. But when you're out in the woods and you hunt these big public land whitetails, you'll know real fast that they are the hardest thing to kill out here with a bow by far
0: amen man i i get shit all the time and people i've i've filmed a lot of elk hunts and been in been in the gila mountains and had them screaming in our face like 400 inch bulls and it's awesome but i'll tell you what i still have no desire to go kill an elk yet i have not like i can't get enough of killing whitetails right now and i don't know it could be convenience and it could be because i squeak when i walk i don't want to spend money to go out and, and elk hunt. i'd rather drop money on whitetails and go to different states. So, man, I I couldn't agree more. I love it. I wanted to run through a brick wall right there when you were talking. I'm like, let's go like this. (laughs) is Let's let's, let's freaking go, you know? So yeah. Whitetails will give you
4: that. I think honestly, that's, they're such a competitive and they are all, they're so smart. You know, you can tell when you really study them and really see what they always do. They're the same way. They're competitive around each other. It's like, I don't know they just they correlate a lot to us as humans really mm-hmm. when you really begin to study them so it's it's really fun to try to hunt the the hard ones the ones that are really difficult the challenge yeah. ones yeah. yeah
2: well i i can i can tell you what buddy you you've had a damn good teacher to grow up with
3: for sure
0: i don't <laughs> even think we need to talk to troy troy you can just slip out <laughs> if you want
3: <laughs> yeah. hey I, I raise good sons <laughs> They're ready to hey, roll. You. you know what you know what's funny about that ty saying that um when I was coming up young, I, I was a lone ranger, guys. I was I was laughed at. I was uh, smirked at, laughed at, talked about. about You know, the, the so-called big hunters in my area. When I was coming up Ty's age, and I just decided I wanted to be a whitetail bow hunter in the mountains. When I was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, I just decided I was going to do that. And nobody had any literature on it or any science about the mountains out here and dealing with whitetails. And I remember all the ridicule and the laughs when I was young. And that was great motivation for me because I just thought, man, if I could, if I could learn how to kill these mountain bucks with a bow and arrow in these giant public lands, then I was really doing something. Like Mm -hmm. I was really hunting. I wasn't shooting. I wasn't killing. I was hunting, you know, and I wanted to be, I remember it well, I wanted to just be a predator. And to me, diving into that proximity of bow hunting, these mountain bucks on this, I literally hunt in the largest scale country there is. I is. did the math. I've looked at the national forests. I've added them all up. I've calculated it all. If I told you the amount of acres that my whitetails have access to and I do I don't think you'd believe me but you guys could do the math too but all that to say the vastness of it and the a whitetail always intrigued me since I was young I grew up on a ranch and we had whitetails on the on our property we had 50 acres and they were always just the way they moved and the way they behaved and the way the bucks always had their heads on a swivel and you throw in all the predators and it's the reason why they act like that and to avoid two months of gun season for the last 40 years two months of gun season during the rut the last 40 years that that i've been hunting them 40 40 yeah 41 years um i just knew that if i could kill them close with a bow and arrow consistently and then as i got older kill the the rarest oldest best bucks consistently i knew that i was like i was going to be i was doing something then Mm -hmm. meaning meaning like I was um, learning, like really had to get intricate with whitetails to do it, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely does. And that's a great, great little segue into to our first, you know, topic and first where we're going to let this rip from. And, you know, like I said earlier on here, we're kind of playing from behind right now, but we're going to catch up. So we're going to backtrack a little bit. We're going to go to January. So I want everybody listening to put yourself – in a mindset of season's over, we're gearing up for next season. I mean, season's never over, but I'm just saying the season's over, we're gearing up for our January approach. So there's a couple tasks that, you know, we got together and talked about this and I wrote, took a whole bunch of notes and everything. I just want to stay on track, but um, I want to dive into what, what you're doing in January. Now um, I know out in Idaho, you probably got snow and probably a lot of it at that time, maybe not. Um, but let's get into get into some stuff. I, I'm just gonna rip it off here, the Band-Aid. Let's talk about backtracking. Right now, I want to dive into like what your backtracking is and your verbiage and, and kind of break it down in layman's terms for everybody else, you know, that's listening, and, and let's let's dive into that big brain of yours.
3: There's two types of backtracking for me. There's backtracking in season from the stand on a specific buck I want to kill to get some intel from him during the season if I have snow. As soon as the season's over, and both of these are really good topics that mean something different, sort of. When the season's over, I like to backtrack from my stands in my best areas of known bucks that are survivors with no worry at all about bumping them. Obviously, I'm backtracking because they're coming by my stand. I guess I could follow them too. But once the season's over, and for the listeners, I close on the 24th of December. I am in the woods on that snow quick, especially when I get – I'm going to elevations, guys, where the snow is working in my favor. Am I going to an elevation of a buck that has three feet of snow? No. I'm jumping into my multiple locations that are lower elevations that have bucks that I want to kill next year or maybe even two years from now because I see their potential. And I'm jumping on that right now, five days after the season. Sometimes it's two or three. Sometimes I go on the 26th. Sometimes we start on the 26th of December. We close on the 24th. But we're always out because i'm a teacher i always have that break until after the first we are always out and ty's done this with me forever we're always out to pick up the first few sheds that are already on the ground we had bucks pop in middle of december this year but we're jumping on or i'm diving into those bucks that i can get to and i'm following everything that the low slow low snow levels show me they basically map everything out for me guys for the whole previous month of November. I see it all. Yep. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Because yeah. because there's not enough snow there in certain places to, to cover it up for two months. So I'm literally getting on the hottest right now sign of all the travel for miles. We're talking bedding areas, travel and in early January, you always pick up a couple sheds. Yeah. But yeah. what I'm really paying attention to guys, is I'm paying attention to what every deer in that herd, and I am, I'm a mental, I take so many mental notes. Like today when Ty and I were out, and we'll get to that. The mental notes that I take, I feel like are four and five steps ahead. I'm thinking about next year when I'm taking these notes. And I'm thinking about specific bucks that I have ID'd that are on camera that maybe I passed. Like I killed that big deer this year, December or January, no, just sorry. January, ugh, December 13th, sorry. I could not wait to get in there and backtrack those bucks as soon as that season got over mm-hmm. because I have other stud bucks that are going to be targets next year there. Yep, and I yeah. wanted to backtrack all the does. I want to know where every does bedding. I want to know how all the deer are traveling. I want to know if they're dropping a thousand feet in elevation, 500 feet. If they're bedding within 200 yards of me, 100 yards, I walk it all as Until the big, big snows of February, basically usually just shut us down a lot in February. That's usually the weather pattern out here.
2: Yeah, I I got a question for you, Troy. What break down, let, you know, season ends on the 24th. And let's just say you have that next week. Break down like, you know, your ideal conditions and snow depth for a day of backtracking like that once the season's over with.
3: If I don't have over two feet of snow, if I'm at 18 inches or less, my deer stay. They just don't leave. They they put all of the evidence on the ground, and they've been putting it on the ground since we got snow. We usually get snow in late October. So it's – guys, you know what it looks like when trails have been pounded for a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and we get snows that come and go that, you know, we'll get a foot, but then it'll melt six inches. We'll get a foot then it melts six inches so we're able to keep all the main trails and highways and networks and thoroughfares of trails on the mountains they they stay open they they don't exit they don't completely migrate away so when i get in there and i have that let's say two inches up to 12 15 inches of snow it's money okay and i walk those trails and what okay. I mean by back, what I mean by backtracking is I'm backtracking from my tree stands, from my yep. scrapes, from my setups that I have made deer come and hunt me. Yep. So I'm going out and finding out everything I can about how the deer are using the wind and the elevation and the terrain features to get to me. I may make a move, or I may just pick that shed up off the ground that I'd say yeah, or I'll find that big buck's beds and a shed near it and it just tells me so much more for down the
1: road.
0: Yeah. How many no, how I... many how many different um how many different locations do you have on average Troy where you're uh it could be a lot. I mean it probably is, but I'm just saying like you're you're not you're not necessarily going to every location are you? You're only going to the ones that were probably you know, pretty fruitful that year or the year before, you know, you're looking at historical data, aren't you?
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Aaron. I have multiple locations. Some of them are higher elevation where I don't get to go do that kind of backtracking, but the ones that are fruitful and the ones that like traditionally have produced the right kind. And I'm a, I'm a DNA guy, genetics guy. I hunt DNA. I hunt genetic pools of deer on purpose Mm -hmm. because they pay off. I hunt gene pools. I go into those specific areas. I have multiple and I'm breaking down the deer that I probably already know, Aaron, that are already three or four years old. I probably already known them for a year or two. I'm just trying to get way ahead of the game on them. Okay. And that's what I did all of January. Uh, Ty got to come home for Christmas. He went with me one or two days. And, you know, we ended up, we ended up, I ended up covering, I have it written down. I ended up almost 40 miles in January in the available areas I could, that I felt would be productive because of the snow levels. Ended up picking up two dozen sheds in January. A lot of them were older ones that I just find because I'm scouting so hard. Um, But what I get out of it every year, guys, in that January month is, I always pick up something that's great, uh, that's valuable evidence for the following year. And if I didn't do it, and if I just sit at home, I, I'm getting behind the ball again. I'm getting behind the game with certain bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Especially yeah. betting areas. Betting areas are huge. on mount, Mountain country is mm-hmm. huge, guys. And when you can locate those beds... And as soon as I find those big beds from those big bucks and off those big tracks and off of my trail cameras at my different sites, which are always scrape oriented, when I find those big beds, I mean, obviously that's a mental note. But what I'm doing is I'm standing there for an hour and I break all the thermals in the wind down and think about where my stands are set up on him. And if I'm not close enough or close enough, or I want to know why he's bedded where he is, but he still comes and sees me in the daylight, things like that. And and if I'm not getting daylight on a buck, I'll move on him the next year.
0: Okay, yeah. I, I gotta st- I, I gotta stop you, David. You go ahead because I don't want you to get into wind mapping yet because we're gonna talk about that. I got a question for Ty, but David, you go first here.
2: I I, w- I was just gonna ask, you know, from from listening to this backtracking, Troy. You know, over your kind of your your hunting career, is it almost safe to say that maybe you you have learned more about how the whitetails – are navigating these mountains from backtracking more than any other time of the year?
3: The, two time, two things. When I'm backtracking, yes, and when you grid out mountains, we grid stuff. You find shit nobody else ever finds, and I mean, you find evidence about bucks. Ty and I did it today. Yeah, we 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 grind and we love it because we pick up on little nuances that nobody walking through the mountains is ever going to see. Yep. We break, yeah, get- we break. Nice. We always talk about being detailed and breaking stuff down. All we did today is ran mile, 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 grids, about a mile grid, 20, 25 feet, 30 feet apart all day. The kind of stuff you find,
4: not just sheds,
3: not just sheds, not even close. Yep. the 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 trail evidence, the Bed. the beds, all the beds we found today in a new area. We got so much information today that a normal person walking through the woods scouting would never find. Now most guys aren't willing to do that shit, but we've been doing. I've been doing it for decades. Yep. Yeah. I end up yeah. knowing. I end up knowing an area. I know every inch of it. So, so two things, yes, David. The the backtracking is huge because it's it's exact evidence because you're following his tracks and you're finding the beds and you have him on camera somewhere. And then the gridding just opens up so much evidence of deer. Like, I found three places today for sure that I'm gonna set up tree that I'm gonna set up big scrapes. Mm-hmm. But I didn't set those up today because I had Ty and I walked we walked eight or ten miles today total on purpose.
2: Yep. Yeah.
3: And, you know, and picked up six we picked up six sheds, but we weren't even, we're not just shed hunting. We're yep. breaking down a mountain, a new mountain we're going to hunt. And the whole time Ty and I are talking about the the best trail systems that we're seeing. We identified the the summer bedding on the north side of the mountain. We identified this, this, the winter bedding on the south side. I mean, it's just, it's just what we do. And sometimes I take that for granted that, that I don't speak about that that foot beat or that boots on the ground stuff is incredible because we put so many miles in yeah and and
0: and, and
2: for go ahead aaron you're good man i got a thousand questions buddy i know (laughs) well
0: i you know we're talking january you know, that's what we're that's what you guys are doing in January. And and for people that aren't watching this episode and you're might listening to it in your vehicle and everything, when Troy's talking about gridding, I mean you were, you were moving your hands a little bit. Literally, you guys are gridding the top half or top, you know, cor- quarter whatever and then moving down the mountain a little bit and then just doing the same path again, right? You're just kind of moving down. Is that how you guys grid that out?
3: We uh we grid a mountain like a guy cuts a farm field. Perfect. That's go- yep we go to the top and then you see us like a typer, like a swather yep or a combine yep we stay 20 yards apart we walk a mile yep we have we have waypoints that we just get to that we know we got to stop here we're getting into a north it's got too much snow we turn around we got about a mile out of our pole today mm-hmm. and i think we did one two three four five eight of them yeah. i think we did eight one mile grids with two guys so we're covering about 40 yards per grid we never get off our own we always ty and i always talk about it stay on your line stay on your line we always make sure that when we get out the end of a grid you get out to the end of a grid the guy on top loops underneath because the guy on the bottom knows where his line is he goes down 20 the guy on top goes down 40 then we go back and today we climb to the top of the mountain so that we, we could work downhill all day
0: gotcha yep
2: and we were able
3: to get we were able to get about eight miles in.
2: Yeah, and this this listeners, this is exactly why we're calling this the Pottinger way. Like yes. that right there that that's the exact reason why. But I I have a I've got a a tough question for you here, Troy. And I it's gonna be it's gonna be a ballpark ballpark answer, but I I think the listeners will really enjoy maybe hearing how this plays out. Now, over the years, you've kind of really have fine-tuned these these stand setups and these scrapes and everything, but, you know, season's over, we're backtracking on a, you know, a potential target next year, and I know every situation is going to be different, so it's going to be really hard to answer, but when you start backtracking from some of your scrape setups and your stand setups, on average, you know, you're backtracking to that bed or that, you know, that bedding area or however he's bedding what's a ballpark, you know, yardage range, or even if it's a half a mile or a quarter mile away, like what are you kind of seeing from, you know, fight, backtracking and finding that bat? How far is he actually away from your stand setups at that point?
3: Um, the deer that I kill is usually close. And to be in the ball game, I got to get close. The deer that I'm getting in the daylight on cameras that I'm interested in, maybe a year or two down the road. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Am I close enough here? I just killed the best buck in here. Is he going to move right in on me? Like happens to me a lot. Um, Most of the time though, David, they're within 200 yards of me to to 400. Is that fair?
2: No, no, that's no, it's, it's, that's
4: a great. Yeah.
3: Two two to 400 yards on a steep mountainside seems like
4: 700 yards. Mm -hmm. I'll share a, I'll share a great example that you guys will like for backtracking this year when I was, home this Christmas uh, break. He was working. uh, I'm here on break for a week. I went out to where my dad killed that big deer this year and backtracked from the stand and got on the biggest two sets of tracks that I could find. And I backtracked both of them, both back to a knob, probably 250 yards away, a brushy thick knob. And there's seven beds, big buck beds, all in the snow, fresh, with fresh hair, everything in them. And I literally called my dad right then and was like, hey, I just found out where this buck is bedding Where yeah. and this buck. There's two bucks in there right now that are going to be great bucks next year that he actually passed one of them. I passed one of them this year. And I was like, I would put my whole scholarship on it that this is where he's bedding right here. <laughs> and there was dude. seven beds. And yeah. that that's that's a great example of – that was January one or two. Yeah, that was like January first or second. Ty found those beds for us. Yeah.
2: That that is that is that's a perfect example, guys. That that that's the stuff where it's like you know people are wondering, you know, like okay, he's backtracking, he's probably backtracking all the way to the bed. Kind of how far is it, you know? But I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question off that. Ty, that day you found that, and you know, you seen that the seven beds or so. Are you, when you guys see that spot like that, are you just assuming that that buck standing up, you know, stretching, just adjusting himself and betting right back down? Or is, is there anything that's making him change from one bed to another, other than just getting up and stretching?
4: Possibly, but I also know that there was more sets of tracks in there than just those two. There was probably three or four deer, I would say, that were using that consistently, but I would definitely say that there wasn't seven deer with seven different beds. I would say that there's definitely a buck that's moving around that, you know, 50 50 yard knob that, you know, he might lay on this side of it one day with the wind that he likes. And then on the other day with a different wind on another Mm -hmm. side of that knob, for sure, I saw that. And we see that all the time when you're backtracking. And you're not always gonna get to something like that where it's like, holy cow, there's like, here's his bedroom. Mm
0: -hmm. But
4: there's also a lot of things where you can get to that where his track might lead to another big, you know, big cross section of trails where you're like, Holy cow, like this would be a great spot to set something up. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was an example of finding where those bucks were bedding under, I would say for sure under 300, probably closer to 200 yards from where my dad had killed that big deer.
2: Yeah. That's, that's, that's perfect. I, I, I freaking love that, you know? And now when you, when you found those beds, is that a mental note for that bedding at, you know, December, you know, when, when dad killed this deer, or is there a possibility? I mean, you guys know this area better than anyone. Is there a possibility that this is, you know, that these, these same bucks are going to be there in August and September and October or is this, is this late season bedding right there?
4: In that, in that specific area. And what happens most of the time in our mountains is there's so much snow at the tops of our mountains late 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 in the year like when those beds were probably formed i would say that in the summer that his beds are going to be higher than that but that was 100 percent a late season where i was like okay here's where they want to bed when they've got this much snow in that area because above him above all those beds i couldn't even go walk because it was i was post hole in two to two and a half feet of snow you know what i mean and you could tell that big them big deer got right up to the max of where they felt comfortable. They were up there in some deep snow, deeper than deeper than the kill spot, where you could see they were pushing it, trying to stay as high as they could. Were they about 18 inches? Yeah, probably 18 inches of snow Yeah, that's those used, beds.
3: It's weird. It's interesting. I shouldn't say weird. It's the wrong word. I've noticed it for decades. About that 18-inch mark is when they'll stop. Is when they usually lay down in it. They start getting into two feet of snow. You know, think about a whitetail. That's up in his chest. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we see it a lot, 18 inches, they'll, they'll get to that. And then like Ty said, they, they make their favorable bedding that time of the year there. Um, we do a lot of higher elevation hunting earlier in the year, which makes sense. Yeah. So
2: what, what's funny. Yeah. What's funny is, you know, you guys talking about the snow depths, if you think back, you know, a couple minutes ago when I was asking you like the perfect conditions for you, that's right in that same, you know, snow depth range for you guys too. You, you, you literally laid out that 12 to 18 inch, you know, snow depth for backtracking. And then you, you just said all the whitetails they hit that 18 inch of snow and it kind of changes everything.
3: Yep. And one thing I wanted to add to what you were asking, DJ was really made a lot of sense is we run into on ridges on big Ridge lines. Yep. We run into North South face bedding based on the wind. So we'll get the same buck bedding on a south side when he's got a north and vice versa, or when he's got a south in his face, he'll come over to the south and it, he'll feed towards the south early season. But if we get a north wind, which doesn't happen a lot, and Ty has seen this a lot with us and I we've talked about it, he'll go over to that north side and get that north in his face and let the thick timber and the cover that he's in protect his backside and the thermals coming up and then he'll feed towards the north when he gets that north. So based on the angles of our ridges, guys, our bucks play both sides of the ridges for betting too. So when you guys hear me talk about betting areas, I would say a betting zone. Our bucks are really good at using the zone and using ridges to manipulate favorable wind for them.
0: What, uh, what, ele- so, you know, when you're backtracking and you find this knob, or you guys are finding these little bedding zones, on average, are they typically higher than your setup? Or are they typically lower or about the same uh, transition line and everything like that on average? I know it's probably all over the map, but like, what do you see more of, and, and maybe does that dictate the caliber of deer as well?
3: It's almost always higher, Aaron, because of thermos. Because during daylight hours, what's a thermal doing even on a cold day that warms up? She's going up. Still going to move uphill. During daylight hours, ducks tend to bed mm-hmm. and not move a ton, especially after a lot of pressure in a long season. Even even during the rut, they run higher lines because they got the thermal. If you can picture it in your mind, you got the thermal coming up to you most of the daylight hours. And you have a prevailing that you can angle into and use. Yep. And we have so much cover that our bucks are feel pretty safe about. We have so much cover. They can't see very far. So they like to have a wind kind of in at least quartering across their face Mm -hmm. because they can't see, but 50 yards in front of them in a lot of areas. And then what was the second part of that question?
0: No, I, well, I was just saying, and how high they get. Okay. So my question was, can you dictate where those beds are in elevation line and how like what kind of caliber of deer that usually is like, are the younger deer usually lower, you know, and vice versa. Like, how, how do you figure that out?
3: Our does always live lower. The conditions are easier. It's not as cold. The snow's not as deep. Our bucks are like freaking hermits. They climb up into those mountains like goats and they hide out in the cracks of the timber. And it's true. They do. They find a lot more solace and they get left alone. Um, the, the thermals and prevailings up higher are more consistent for the bucks to survive. Like they're You get up on those ridges, you get a nice consistent prevailing, plus you get a very consistent daily thermal, and they play that game. Mm-hmm. Our does honestly throw more caution to the wind, and I think Ty would agree with me. They'll live down lower, they'll risk it more, they'll live in the swirls and the in the draws and they'll just they'll live wherever the food's easiest and the nicest warmest bedding is what we see yep that's what we see a lot of
2: guys
0: that makes sense
2: now and and i was gonna say all this stuff you know guys all this stuff is being learned here backtracking you know what i mean like all the you know this dull bedding this buck bedding which side of the ridge with the wind like this is all things the partners are learning backtracking here in january (laughs) Now tell- where you
3: guys go, anybody that has snow should take, take a big advantage of it as a whitetail hunter. Yeah. yeah. Snow maps out. Snow, snow never lies. The, the tracks never lie. The trails never lie. The beds never lie. And then you find the big scrapes. You find like today, we found a scrape. We would have never found, we would never found this scrape if we wouldn't have been grid and Ty found a killer scrape today. It had, it had one of the licking branches bigger than my thumb that's been chewed on for,
4: yeah, there'll be a deer killed on that. It's
3: been probably chewed on for decades.
4: Yeah. And then it had yeah.
3: three or four others that mm-hmm. are all chewed mm-hmm. off. But one of them was bigger than our thumb that you could just tell they've been chewing on forever. And then pie looks below it and there's pine needles on the ground. But if you look under the pine needles, there's this great big scrape.
4: Big as a coffee.
3: Table. Big as our coffee table under those, underneath those uh, licking branches.
0: Yep. Yeah. Now, Okay. I got one more question on this and then we're going to move on. So you're, you're backtracking to find the hideouts, you know, you're, you're finding the beds. You like to call them hideouts. Um, yeah. Evidence, all the evidence evidence is key for you. Like in, in January, this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to get a jump start on it. It's fresh in your mind. Tell me this, Ty, you found this, you found this knob. Okay. Do you guys ever dive into areas like this and like hang a camera up high, let it marinate, figure like and kind of learn on it or is it like nope we're so true we, we're confident we've seen this before we know what's working or do you like to get those picture validations every once in a while
4: I think it depends on the situation like in that situation the setup that we have in that area is already so rock solid and it works so well where it's almost that backtracking was more of a solidifying the fact that okay here's where they're betting Here's how they're entering and exiting that area. But I would say backtracking in a newer area or an area where you don't know all the deer around like we do in that specific area, 100%. Yeah, if you find a hub like that, you know that's where deer live, then yeah. If you want to figure out what they are and you don't know what they are, then yes. Yep. I would cool. definitely go dive into something like that. But in an area, in a situation like that where year to year, it, it's not, it varies every year where – where they could bed or where they want to go where where a specific buck wants to live yeah
3: specific bucks
4: is the you know case. what i mean like then it's different if you know that he's there but you want to figure out where one specific deer is going right. to use how he's using the wind to enter exit an area you know that was a different scenario but in a scenario where you're backtracking say newer country or country that you don't know enough about or a buck we just got on or a, or a brand one new deer. or a brand new buck that yeah. you're like a surprise buck then yeah then you could backtrack for sure and set up a camera just for just for knowledge
0: that makes total sense like and th- that's what I'm trying to get out of you guys is like because I'm thinking of the listener here too and how they can apply all this and their areas and I know it's questions that guys ask themselves like man is am I doing too much if I throw a camera in this bed or get it up high and just kind of monitor it right there is perfect if you're if it's bulletproof and you know it leave it alone but if it's new Let's figure more out. You know, if it's a different, if it's a new buck, let's figure him out. Yeah. Like, I love that. I love it. Now you talk about diving in a new country and this is going to wrap January. Okay. So you're doing a lot of backtracking, picking up sheds when you can trying to find those hubs, everything. But this is the time you're diving in a new country as well. Um, let's elaborate. Let's take like three to five minutes if we can on this. Like, what does that look like to you? Both of you, like diving in a new country in, 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 is this stuff that you've like been intrigued with before e-scouting maybe? And it's like, okay, this is the time to dive in now.
3: Yeah, we, we are mapaholics e-scouting. You know, I grew up on the hard copy maps that I laid out on my tables and now it's all on my phone or on my computer. But yeah, usually, well, always now we see something on a map we like. And I think, I'm very confident in my map reading skills in this country. Ty, Ty and I see something like today. We literally drove to an area that had too much snow. We got on our base map. I said, you know, I've been wanting to go over and look at this piece. Ty gets on it, looks at it, he goes, let's go. That's what we did today. We got we got to a spot we wanted to get into on a known superstar buck, way too much snow, instantly got our base map out and start thinking about what's kind of close, drove to that area, dove into a brand new place we probably have put on the back burner more than we should, but it forced us to jump into it. But I've looked at that, I have looked at that public land for years, and I have went over it with a fine tooth and comb, and when we got into it today, I believe Ty would agree it was everything we thought it was, it was actually better.
4: I would say to answer your question a little more in January I feel like both of us especially my dad is on his e-maps all the time. Also, he sends, you know, me, he but, sends me he sends me
0: pictures when his kids are taking tests.
4: Because, <laughs> because and, and the reason why honestly guys is because there's usually so much freaking snow out here. Yeah. We're hardly horn hunting. Yeah. And and a lot of times not most of our most of our areas we have to wait to backtrack until February and March and March honestly like today where we were shed hunting we were tracking the whole day Yeah, there's there's bits and pieces of snow So I would say in January for sure a lot of map studying where it's like, okay I want to look at this area and break it down and break it down electronically and Go see where we want to enter it from and how we want to attack it and then go up into it when there's a not not maybe not even completely full of snow but enough go into it when we can backtrack it in the snow and then later on go into it where we can shed hunt it and find sheds. Yep. So
3: we we do that in january february if it's allowable uh even march we always you know we say shed hunting that we're shed hunting or we say that we're horn hunting or whatever you want to call it scouting. we're scouting like we're scouting yep and okay. the sheds just come guys and we break stuff down. I think we, I don't know anybody that breaks ground down more than I do. Ty and I, we told you, 15 yard increments for miles, and we stay on our damn lines. Mm-hmm. You know, we stay on our lines. We hold true to those lines. Yeah. You, but- you find out. You find out so much more about deer and how they work the, how they work a mountain, both sides of it. If you do that. Now, does everybody want to do that? No. when I do it on flat ground when I get to go to the Midwest and e-scout something and get a walk it it is such a dream it is just it's smaller it just makes so much sense to me Uh, when I've hunted out of state I I can usually get right on the biggest buck on the property instantly and I have proof in in the past from doing it by being allowed to do it my way like I'll literally ask my buddies can I just do it my way can I go in and break up your place down like I want to? Can I hang and hunt where I want to? And when they let me, the two times guys have let me, I had a 186 and a 192. So there you go. Yeah. Two times that I've been allowed. Yep. When I yep. have to hunt other people's spots and sit in their stands, it's never been good ever. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. I got a question for you, Troy. You know, you talk about the new piece you walked today and the fact that you've kind of been eyeballing it for a while. Now, is this something, you know, this new piece, did it attract you because it had a, a specific feature inside of it that, you know, that over the years that you've learned to love, say, you know, a hub system where I can access from the South and, you know, it, it, it flow, you know, the wind flows from the North type of thing. Like, are you kind of, when you're looking at new property and trying to break it down, I hope this comes across correct. Are you kind of like copy and pasting what you know and what you love so well onto just a brand new piece?
3: Sometimes. um, I have purposely taught myself how to hunt every ridge, every which way ridges run, big mountains run. I've purposely taught myself how to hunt it all because I want to be able to kill a deer anywhere he wants to go. And when I, and, and the thing is, I'm fortunate. A lot of my public is big enough. I have no fences. But to go back to what you're asking me there, this is the perfect piece for that question. I'm limited. It's not a big piece of public. It's like something you would have to get to hunt, David. You know, it's not a very big piece of public at all. But where it's positioned, it has that carbon copy I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. It's, got, it's got unbelievable north steep, extremely thick brows and timber bedding in the norths. It's got a beautiful south that has great feet in it, but also, you know, has the thermal, all the thermal cover and everything for deer. Great finger ridges, ridges, travel routes, lateral lines all over it today for uh, big bucks running thermals and staying above the doe family groups. All the does were in the bottom, all the little tracks, all the small feet, all the small piles of shit were in the bottom. All the big dudes were up top, and Ty and I got on four different big buck tracks today. Four different deer. yeah. Like legitimately different big bucks, like mature bucks. Yep. Guess where they are at? They were up in that top third, but they're also using that north right now, already. Yeah, I backtracked one of them into the north. Ty backtracked a buck probably 200 200 yards into a north just to see where he was headed to bed. You know, just stuff like that. So, yeah, David that's today was a was one of those picture perfect places that even looked better once we got inside of it but it looked great on a map yes it looked it had everything we like heavy security cover high ridge line multiple finger ridges on both sides extremely great browse for feed both sides of the mountain completely different timber species on the north and the south which always usually is the case and all the cover in the world and great elevation for bucks to use Thermals win to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Wait, is it, that's such a great feeling. You know, when you, when you, you know, you've been studying the map and you get your, you know, lace up your boots and get in there and everything freaking checks the boxes, man, that's a good feeling.
3: And that's the feeling we had today. That's why we sent you guys pictures of those couple big sheds we found because that's confirmation. Mm-hmm. Big mature deer using what we were breaking down today. Yep. They were using yep. it. And you guys saw the pictures.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep, for sure. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com/waypointpod50 to get 50% off.
5: To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
0: Now, okay, so that that I think that's a perfect segue into February. So Jan, that's that's wrapping up January, coming into February because your your biggest task in in February is is trying to get a logging a hundred hours on e scouting like that's your goal. Um, and you know, you're rebuilding your equipment, your trail cams, you're getting them out, you're cleaning them, which I don't want to brush over. Um, that's something I do take the batteries out. You clean the lenses, you get, you, you gotta have the inventor or you gotta have the, the, you know, the, the soldiers ready. You know what I mean? Let's, so let's talk a little bit about that right there of like getting into, you know, we, we did talk about the East Scout one. So that, I mean that it is what it is, unless you have like a little hint on like, this is what I really tried to hone in on in February, if not, and it's just the big picture, we all know that we don't really need to go down that road. Um, but let's talk about rebuilding cameras and your equipment. Kind of getting your legs underneath you again. You kind of got an off-off month and away just because of the snow level, and it kind of keeps you baited up. So let's talk about that a little bit.
3: So February usually puts me in my house because the snows. We get a lot of snow in February, and yeah, I'm kind of out of the game on the backtracking then for the most part. And I just I don't want to sit idle ever on these whitetails and just sit around so i dive into all my cameras that i have available um start putting together an idea of how many new ones i need to get because i'm always i'm always trying to stay way ahead of the game with new areas uh i go through i get a lot of bear issues with cameras because we have so many bears in this country so what I usually end up doing is that about every two or three years guys. And sometimes every year I go through and take all of my cameras that have a, have a issue. I tear them all apart and I'll take like 25 cameras and make 15 good ones out of them. And that's beneficial to me. That saves me some money. I like tinkering and working on shit like that and feeling good about, you know, not just throwing them all away or having to send them back. I'm not real good at sending stuff back. Uh, so I like diving in and like, I like to fix stuff. I grew up. My dad had me fixing my own car and doing everything from when I was young. I had to fix everything myself. Yep. So yeah, I, d- I dive into that. And then I also start getting all my, all my scrape, all my scrape mixes ready to go. Um, I start laying out what I call my own personal buck bombs. Uh, that's, that's my personal like stuff I set up for bucks and I get all that stuff laid out way ahead of time so that when I get into March, say, so February is a ton of like legwork behind the scenes work, work on my truck, work on my side by side, work on whatever, whatever needs fixed. I start doing it in my shop and in my garage in February and March trail cameras. All of that is a big part of my game, but it's all ready to go because I don't have as much time as some people. I work a full time job. We go over, you know, we, we're going to be over at his spring game and we travel over for football. But it is my time to get everything ready so I can just go. Yep. And, as, and go also relates to weather out in this country. I'm going on the days like today. It was It was, what, 50 degrees. First 50 degree weather we've had since October. Mm-hmm. On the good days that afford me to be the most efficient, guess what? I'm not effing scrambling at my house to get shit together. I have stuff ready for april and may already like laid out in my garage all laid out in bags ready to grab and go know that i'm going to go to five spots know that i'm going to put two of them in my pack and then drive to another spot and put two more in my pack and i'm going to have all my stuff to put out for my bucks my cameras my spy high system uh my buck bombs are all going out um we can put minerals out all over uh washington you could you know i i try to take care of my deer Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I am preparing everything for go time. Yes.
0: So in a and, sense, I live,
3: and I, and I got to say, I live on the maps. Yep. I mean, if there's nothing for me to do, I'm on a map. Oh, yeah. Every chance I get, I live on maps.
0: Yep. So February, you're not sitting idle, but it's almost like a reset month. You're, you're getting your legs yeah. back underneath you, trying to get everything yeah. dialed. So when the weather does clear, Break. it's go. When it breaks. It's go. Yep. yep. Yeah. We, no, I, I we, totally get that.
3: We have a term out here called spring breakout. And as soon as that weather turns for spring breakup, I have all my stuff dialed so that I can just go, 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 and lay everything out. Then I just let my camera soak on my scrapes, April, May, June, July. And like every now and then, guys, we get a February where we get to do more of that. We didn't this year. We had way too much snow.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, that makes total sense. And I, I'm I'm glad we broke that down there. Uh, I don't think I really don't think we need to go any farther than that, do we, Troy? In March. No. Or February, I'm no. sorry. February. No,
3: just just having everything ready to roll. Yep. For okay. Spring up.
2: I was just gonna say it's in it's such a good point to hit on because there's still work being done. That's kinda like behind the scenes kind of work. The yep. stuff the stuff that nobody talks about or nobody shows, you know, but like it's those small details when other guys aren't doing things, Troy's doing things, yep. you know what I mean? And it's going to, those, those little things affect, you know, come summertime and come fall, come hunting season. Yeah, for David,
3: sure. David Aaron, one other thing I want to throw in, cause David made me think about it. I, in February, I do this. I map out all my gene pools from the lot like I, the other day I did 10 years back. And I I put out this, I made this big chart of every buck that I've ever had on camera over the last 10 years in my best areas. I charted it all out on a spreadsheet at my school. And I looked at all the different drainages and what those drainages have produced for me over the last 10 years. And when you start highlighting certain caliber of bucks and age class and the number of that age class, sometimes you forget about that stuff when you're going so hard and Mm -hmm. you need to go back and look at it and not leave any stone unturned on an upcoming season. Yep. And it makes me game plan and it helps me to game plan, not makes it helps me game plan for this fall. Like, You need to get back to, I told myself in one spot, you need to get your ass back into this one drainage because you haven't been spending enough time in it. And it's been one of your best producers over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that spreadsheet was big for me too, in February of, of of all my, you know, all my public land areas that I hunt.
2: Yeah. And, and for all, for all the listeners, you know, I don't, I mean, Troy's the only person I ever hear talking about gene pools. And for the people listening, the only way that I can kind of explain kind of what Troy's doing. It's probably equal to like somebody managing different farms in the Midwest for up and coming high end caliber deer. Like Troy's watching, you know, this is all on public land, but he's watching different drainages for the genetics and the upcoming deer that would be potential, you know, age class and target class type of animals.
4: The, The deer that my dad killed this year, his, the father and the son are in the basement. That's no joke. And that's not, I'm not saying that to, it, it is, it's, it's hundred percent. You look at him, it's hundred percent five years down the road. The last, the year that he killed the father, when he was a big five and a half year old, it's been five years since that year. And he just killed another big five and a half year old. That's straight out of, him. straight out of that deer.
3: Really? At least straight out of the mother, you know, straight, it's got to be out of the father because it's got to be the same gene pool, you know? And I really watch those gene pools replenish. I, I watch them replenish and I really keep an eye on them guys because if you let that kind of thing slack or don't even think about it, a lot of times you're not giving yourself the best chance at a great whitetail. That's why I do it. And I'm a, I'm a biology nerd. I love genetics. I love DNA. It's so real. If you really pay attention to it, people ask me all the time, how do you know the difference between a doe? Every doe that I have near me, I know their face. I know their body. I know their different body type, their face, their nose. They don't even look like the same deer to me. And I have people say to me, there's no way you can tell the difference between a doe. Oh, yeah, you can. If you're really studying your does and looking at all your, and I run a lot of video too, plus I see them. Mm -hmm. But I study the hell out of my does, guys, and what those does produce in those drainages. Genetically. Genetically, I I really watch what some of those mothers throw because you get to see those, you get to see their pups on them for a year and a half. And you can kind of look at their body even when they're young and that little year and a half old rack you can see more in a year and a half old rack than people give you credit for. Mm-hmm. Like I've had I had a I had a buck that was a four by four when he was a year and a half old. He turned into a six by six, just like I thought he would within by the time he was a two and a half. He was a six by six. Mm-hmm. And then I killed him when he was five and a half years old as a seven by five because for some reason he got an injury and he put seven on one side and five on the other. But he was always a six by six every year. But at one and a half, I saw his little mass, I saw his little long main beams. I saw that he was a four by four at one and a half, and I was like, that deer is going to be a stud. Yeah, he moved on us a little bit because his mom kicked him away, but we found him, and then we had him grow up, and then we kill him five years later, and he, he's spreading all those genes around now. I've got other six by six popping up now that and I killed him in 18. Just uh, that end, that whole DNA thing is extremely interesting to me.
2: I'm like <laughs> it, it, that is. I mean <laughs> We could probably do a whole episode about that. I, I yeah. could have a thousand questions about that. That it is wild.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you said that uh he moved and you found him because that's what happens. The doe's that's what they're genetically told to do. You know, they he's kick them off. they gotta kick him off. That you know, yep. they're not gonna be inbreeding and stuff like that. So I'm glad you hit on that because it is I think that almost pays off the statement you made about keeping track of your does, because the does are going to be in the same drainage every year. It seems like, yeah. you know what I mean? And then when they kick those bucks off, you know, that they're probably going to go, you know, they're going to use these drainages the same way. I mean, the genes, it, it, it is what it is. You know, um, yeah. I'm glad you really paid that off there.
2: Yeah. They're, they're, you know, like even here in Michigan, you know, when you're talking about the does and. I, I'm such a firm believer on, in the the oldest bucks that I have in my area, they know when like those first does in each, in each doe family group, like when they're ready to, you know, pop for the fall, you know, like I'll, I'll see on scrapes, especially there'll be a three or four day window in the, you know, October 14th through 19th. And no one talks about those dates, but I'll, I'll see some of the most matured. Bucks that I know of hitting scrapes, but they'll be right behind a doe. One lone doe, and I'll argue with every anyone that that buck—he's—he's he's known about that doe for years, mm-hmm. doing that.
3: And and all you have to look up is photo period, because it's the one thing that never changes, and that's what triggers a doe's estrus mm-hmm. once she settles into maturity.
0: Yep. Couldn't so it's always going
3: to usually be within a couple of days, David. With my does, yep. they'll use. Yep. Them those does that i know and i know their face and then old, you know i got one i you know that's an old bitch and makes all kinds of noise anytime she ever knows i'm around but guess what she always comes into estrus on about a three-day period every year yeah. and she's been doing it for five years you can just count on it and just like you said david she's one of those early does like you're talking about the best bucks in my mountain area where she is that are older they all know it too and that's when they show up early on her and that, and they work those scrapes even ahead of her a little bit yep. because yep. they know
2: that those, those, do, those, those, those right there are the exact reasons that, you know, like Troy, you and I have talked about this a hundred times, turning these trail cameras, to video mode, because how many times does it all of a sudden the, just a, a giant doe walk in, in frame and then eight seconds later here, he comes right behind her. And it's, it's October 14th, five o'clock in the afternoon. You know, it's like, I you seeing it more. I see that stuff more and more, the more you watch it.
3: Yeah. And sometimes I get teary eyed when my stud, my great old doe dies and doesn't show back up. <laughs> like, Oh no, now I got to start over and re-scout all these young does in there.
0: Well, you know, and you make a good point though, because if, if you know these does, you know, the bucks know the does even better. Oh. You know what I mean? They live with them. They kiss them. They breed them. They, they're, they, they know, they know where they
3: fight over them. Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. So let's, let's make a transition into March here. So, you know, we're, we're dropping this episode, uh, end of March. So we're getting to the point where almost real time here. So, um, you're going to start losing snow you know, uh, you're going to start shed hunting, scouting, but I wanted to, I want to dive into a little stat that you, uh, threw out to me. I don't even think you did it on purpose. It was just something that you said. And I I took note of it. You've killed 14 bucks, um, off, uh, 14 bucks that you found sheds off of now that to me, that is a game changer. Uh, and I'm, to a lot of people listening, you might be smirking or saying, yeah, that's, that's not that cool. And I'm like, well, bullshit. It's cool because that's 14, at least 14 different years. that uh, cause you're not doubling up on bucks. Right. I mean, unless you're hitting them in different States.
3: Um, Idaho. Yeah. Idaho's two buck rule. Okay. Um, um, so some years I kill two bucks in a year. I, I think I've done it three times. Okay. So not a lot. So but, not a lot, or it's usually opposite. It's usually two States. Yeah.
0: I guess what I'm getting at though is like, you're hunting all this on public land. It's hard to find sheds in general. And now you're finding them in public ground, some the biggest country out there and you're capitalizing on these deer. So tell me this, when you're finding a shed in March, like what is the biggest key that that shed is telling you to kill him the next fall?
3: Um, I, As soon as I find a shed, like we found six today. The first thing I got to process in my mind, as soon as we find them, I look at it, Ty and I, examine oh yeah it's been on the ground for a month and a half or maybe this deer doesn't look like it's been on the ground very long then we got to calculate in all the snow levels that were there for the last two months so we got to make that evaluation right off the bat if we calculate out in our mind that yeah this has been laying under the snow for a while he probably shed this early january which is very close probably to his best hideout Because we can hunt him until Christmas, Mm -hmm. then it gets pretty serious. What I I believe the reason why I've killed so many bucks that I have sheds to, Aaron, is my whitetails do shed early, especially in my older bucks, and a lot of times they give the shed evidence gives away their favorite hideout area to me. Okay, and hey, I'm killing bucks close to their beds. Mm -hmm. And I'm killing bucks close to their beds late season a lot. Hey, I kill a lot of early season bucks too. What's interesting about these mountains is a lot of times my high elevation early summer bed is just simply up above my December later bed where he sheds. So usually I can climb on him and find him even in the early season in that general area.
0: We did that with bird bucks.
3: Does that answer it?
0: It 100% does because, you know, what I picture is you guys gridding out a drainage or a hillside and, you know, finding a shed, let's say it's, you know, halfway up the mountain, you know. So now I'm thinking you're kind of in that, you're kind of in that like limbo zone. Like, how do you backtrack from there? Like, what is this deer doing? Is he just browsing here? Where is he coming from? Probably from up high. So do you start backtracking up the hill to figure out, you know, you're still backtracking, but like, I guess I'm just trying to find a correlation to what this shed is telling you where to set up and you nailed it though. You talk about calculating snow levels, calculating when he dropped it, and that's going to tell you almost the piece that you need to the puzzle. You know, if he, if he's, if he's doing it now, if it's late season, but it sounds like you have it pretty, both you have it pretty dialed to like the higher you go up the hill, usually it's like more early season, you know, or, and then the more, more he moves down. Right. Am I saying that right? It's more into the season.
3: Yeah. And it's, and and it is very dependent on really deep snow. If we don't get deep enough snow, Aaron, he'll live at 5,000 feet through the whole season. Okay. And here's what it'll do. Here's what it'll do. These guys are Rangers. They range way out. They go breed the does. They work all night and they, I kill bucks in the morning because they will ascend way up mountains and get up into their favorite bedding zone. They'll send a long ways in the mornings, meaning these deer are not afraid to travel Mm -hmm. to get back to where they feel safe. Um, With the, with the whole backtracking thing like today, like say in March we find a shed, we have to break it all down and calculate when we think it hit the ground whether it's not worth, and this is, this is something we did today, which will make total sense to answer your question. We found two big mature bucks today, single sides off of two mature bucks. We had already located, I think, four good tracks. Mm-hmm. Because we covered that ground so thoroughly, Ty and I are able to think, well, this shed's here. We just covered three miles above us. We just saw it all. We just saw all the tracks. We know right where those bucks are betting, right where they're headed. Mm-hmm. And all he had to do was pop out of the north, come across the top, and shed where we found him. He only had to walk 200 yards to shed from where we found the great big tracks going into the north. Yeah. So because we cover so much ground, we see things different than somebody picking up sheds because we break so much ground down.
4: No, I, I like that. Yeah. that. Yeah. I would say one thing that has happened a lot, a lot of those bucks that he's killed when we find a shed, a lot of times when it's an, if it's a new area like today, we already know from gritting, from scouting where we want to hang potential tree stand spots. And it almost always lines up with, we find a, even if we find a shed that's not right there, we end up going in later in the summer where we know is going to be a good travel situation or, Close a, to his bed. Close to a, a buck's bed. And it'll be like, Oh, yep, there he is. And it doesn't have to be right where you find the shed, but oh. this is where he lives. It's always like we already know what the good areas are, what the good where we wanna set up stands, and then we'll find a shed and be like, Okay, there's a big deer in here. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you in the summer we're gonna find him somewhere Aaron. in our good spots that we already mm-hmm. know from e scouting and from also scouting boots on the ground being like today, gritting all day. We already know where he's going to be that might not be right on where shed sheds. Sure. And Aaron, I
3: trap whitetails. I'm a trapper. So think about this part of it. I get in close to him. I find where he sheds or where he shed, right where his favorite hideout area is. My mind's doing a million things today. I'm going to put a giant scrape or overmark that one tie found or whatever we decide to do based on location. And based on all of the security cover I found in the north and the tracks that we broke down today. I'm going to place a trap. Whitetails hunt me. I'll pull that sucker. I can pull a deer 200, 300 yards easy. Sometimes I pull them half a mile. So it's a whole other part of the way we hunt whitetails is we're thinking about potential trap sites for these deer too.
4: We can pull them to us.
3: That we can pull them to us, favorable to them, and uh, they think it's favorable to them. They have the wins they want. We figure, we dissect and figure out these trap sites to put in. We pull them, and Ty's right. Usually when I find a big shed and get serious about a deer, I get him on a camera in 10 days as soon as I put my traps out.
0: Okay. Now, so would, would, would you almost say when you find that shed, that's a starting point? now we go that's
3: now we go and, and those yep. big sheds mean a ton to me aaron when we can see the evidence that they shed very close to the end of the season yep. because those are their favorite late season hideouts sure yeah or their yep. safest places two months of rifle season you know pushing these idaho deer around yep well, well and yes. like you
0: said not only their favorite hiding spouts but the best ones they, they it's why they're right, it's, tried and right. true
3: right you know right and i'm not hunting a two i'm not after a two-year-old idaho deer i'm after a deer that's probably four. the shed evidence is at least a four-year-old because that way he'll be five when i want to hunt him he's he's lived and survived for at least four years he's got shit figured out Mm -hmm. the reason he's four or five years old we showed you those sheds today that was a four-year-old and a five-year-old easy for sure a four or a five maybe a five and a six those deer are more predictable as they get older if you can find them because they are so calculated in their movements.
2: Yeah, I, I got a question for you. I, I want I'm gonna'm I'm gonna I'm gonna flip your guys's day around today with the question. You guys go into a brand new area and you find the shed right off the bat. okay, you know, first hour you're in there. Are you then are you is your mindset to backtrack? the tracks from that shed if they're fresh or are you thinking let's just continue gridding this area? Cause you guys said you're gridded it. Then you found the shed, but let's just say you find the shed first and you're only an hour into your day. What are you doing at that point? If it's got fresh tracks,
4: I'll take it. we'll, we'll, we'll still grid we, <laughs> gridding Gritting tells you more than you'll ever know from walking, especially now when you're shed hunting, there's not a bunch of fresh snow on the ground. You know what i mean so it's hard to backtrack as much when you're shed hunting where you find a shed
3: i know what he's asking but
4: yeah we do though when we find a big horn if there's a big track right next to it we're like yeah. oh that's him yeah we're gonna backtrack it. Yeah. yeah but if most of the times it's not honestly and we'll yeah. just keep gritting, and usually either pick up his other side or we'll find a bunch of we'll find every ounce of sign that's in that entire drainage and then put it all together even if we find it early in the day
2: yeah it's almost it's almost it's almost safe to say like if you did find that shed with a fresh set of big tracks like it's it's like a special occasion you're going to take advantage of that mm-hmm. when you can
3: david say so. david i've got the I've, that's it's a good answer and i got the perfect answer for you the my biggest idaho whitetail i killed i found his shed in the first hour mm-hmm. In a brand new area to me. So I'm going to answer your question. I instantly be, I picked up, you know, an 83, 83 inch shed. This was years ago and it's still my biggest Idaho whitetail. And I pick up this shed and I instantly, yes, my mindset just goes, Holy shit. First hour I got this shed. I instantly just started. And I didn't have e-scouting back then, but I scouted on hard uh, hard regular paper maps. I instantly just start looking around. I start looking for tracks. I probably spent two hours right there just trying to find some kind of evidence that would lead me to him. Well, I didn't have enough snow to find his track, and it was kind of muddy out and rainy. It was actually, it was rainy that day. So what I did is then I just stood there and looked back and started thinking about how this mountain runs, I'm on a north. He probably shed that from December 25th to January 15th. He's probably got snowed out of here and it was two miles away in the winter. Going to move back up into this north, this great hideout. But I also knew that 300 yards above me on the mountain is the ridgeline. And on the backside of that ridgeline is a beautiful south. And I thought, what would an old, big old, six, seven-year-old whitetail love to have what would he love to have and be able to take advantage of after a hard hunting season in January, February, March? Where would he have the best wind advantage? Where can he survive the mountain lions that I get all over on the cameras out here on this mountain and the wolves? I, I, I put it right there that day. I started thinking about it all. And then walk, started walking it all. I had to walk it all. I put, I think I put, Almost 20 days in trying to find that other shed. And guess what? I never found it. But guess what I found on those 20 days for the rest of the spring. I knew everything about that son of a gun. And I found the most incredible string of scrapes up on the top of the mountain straight above me in a saddle. And that's where I killed him next year opening day. Mm.
2: Yeah, that that is that is the top 1% thinking though, how many guys just find a shed and think, Oh, he just wintered here. This is just a shed. Like you sat there and broke down every reason of why he been there, but then where's he headed next? What date range was this shed laying here? Considering what the snow looked like, like that is, that's, that's, that's top tier thinking just from a shed. That's, Troy, that's you- why
0: sheds are sh- so important to you. Yeah. Yeah. You killed him and what killed that deer was the detail is what killed that deer. Your detail is what killed him.
3: And and I put in more hours that summer glassing him from two miles away in a clear cut, an old logging clear cut. I literally work all day logging. I I log, I log in the summers. I'd log all day. I would, I get to make my own hours. I'm my own boss. I would drive an hour and a half from my house. No trail cameras back then, guys. Binoculars, mile mile and a half away, sitting out on a back back roads, dirt road, way down in the bottom, glassing him on the top of a mountain, right where I found the shed and where I'll put it together in my mind and where I put all the sh- the gridding in for probably 20 days trying to find that other shed before. And I found a shitload more sheds in there, but none, nothing like him. Looking Just because I look for his other side I learned so much about that mountain that when I went to look for him for the first time with binoculars, guess what happened to me in one hour of looking for him with binoculars in the summer? Found him? I found him within an hour. It's back in the flip phone days. I called my brother. I said, I found that son of a bitch. (laughs) And I did. My brother will tell you the truth. I said, first hour in. Oh, I put an observation stand in too, that the wind worked where I could watch him from closer. I did all of that. So then the whole summer, I just watched this dude. So that's like having as good or better than trail camera. like, Aaron, I know you love the glass. Mm -hmm. This was one of those lucky scenarios in the mountains. I had a clear cut that had short enough reed prod in it that I could see him. Man, I love that. So then Aaron, in the summer, jump back listeners to when I was looking for his other side where I found all those scrapes in the saddle at the top. Guess where he's walking through in the summer, hitting licking branches out into the clear cut, working his way to the feed. He's coming through that heavy timber of multiple scrapes and he would pop out right in front of those scrapes in the summer in the velvet. And I could see his velvet rack up there hitting the licking branches from my binoculars. So then I just go in September 1 and kill him.
0: Man, I'll I tell that. you, I, I love it too, because you look, you're in big country and you don't hear a lot of guys talking about glassing from a distance. You know what I mean? Uh, in that big country for whitetails, you know, you don't. And, 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 that's,
3: and, and that's all we did till trail cameras came about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's just, there's no substitute for glassing in my opinion. You know, if you can do it. If you can do it. If you can do it. If you can do it.
3: Understand, I have areas, Aaron, that I can't glass for 50 miles. Sure.
0: Yeah. No. Like
3: you can look across the sea of mountains and there's so much timber, there's nowhere to glass because there's no clear cuts. Yep. But yes. But I agree. Tyson and I have a spot we've killed some tremendous deer in and we can glass it. And I've talked to you about this before, Aaron. I have two types of whitetail bucks I hunt true backcountry mountain bucks and then i hunt mountain bucks near ag the ag bucks we get a glass just like you guys get to and it's in the and, and it's awesome and oh, it has helped it. us kill bucks yeah. yeah
0: david's a big glasser too and man the, some of the snapchats and videos him and i send each other in the summer oh my god it's yeah. i love it love that stuff yeah
2: yeah i i'm not going to lie man you give me late july august it's i mean i love the process of the, the year round stuff but dude Late July, early August, full velvet. Like I, I absolutely love that time of year. Yeah,
0: seen some very big deer glassing.
3: We we yeah. have had some of our best father son times together glassing at daylight at four thirty in the morning. I get up and get Tyson up at three so we could get there at daylight by four thirty, and then we'll sit and just glass these giant bucks heading up onto the mountain That's off awesome. of the egg. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, just stuff they, like that. The, the coffee tastes so much better on those. Oh. yes, yeah.
1: After yep. you,
0: after you <laughs> spill it all over yourself, you're you holding <laughs> it like this because it's better in a it's better in a ceramic mug. You know, love a <laughs> oh, Yeti, God. but shit, it tastes better in a ceramic mug. But uh, yeah. anyway, anywho, so that nails home the point of finding the sheds and and literally the detail. David nailed it too. A lot of guys would look at that shed and just be like, oh, he's just winter here. Let's just keep rolling. No, I love that. That's what that's what we wanted to do this this series about is because you break it down. You stop there. You might be there for two hours. I got to find the piece oh, yes. that hones me into why this shed's here, and I freaking love that. That is the pottinger way there, and that is the way that I try to take, take my approach and think. And those little minor details, I say minor, but... Those things that people easily overlook is what can kill you that deer the next year. Right there. Yeah, 100%. You know, they they
2: you know they, they see a picture of Troy on September, what'd you say, September 2nd you killed that buck? September. I killed him
3: September 1.
2: Okay, so, you know, what people see through their eyes is they see Troy with this, this giant deer on September 1. They don't see back in, you know, March when he found that shed. They don't see... The day, you know, the week later when it was driving them crazy, trying to break that down with the possibility of finding the other side of the shed, they don't see the summer glassing, you know, like they, that's, they, they just see the snapshot or this, the snapshot of the kill photo where it's like, yes. yeah, yeah. And, and I, man, I, I struggle with that. I, I really do because it's like when, when you're, when you're this consistent and in, in killing animals where most people don't even think it's possible it's i have this is why this series is perfect for it because yep. it's it's going to give people a true taste of more than just the picture they see in the fall
0: yep okay so troy i want to talk about two more things before we wrap this up here now i, I really want to dive a little bit into wind mapping in march you talk about how you wind map now this thing, the wind mapping to me is a game changer. I don't like using that word too much, but it's something, another thing that people just don't do. That is so easy to do when you're out there scouting already. So break down wind mapping and how you do it when you're out there in March, either shed hunting or scouting or gritting. How are you doing that?
3: Um. So I wind map by looking at a map and understanding how wind works in my country and thermals. So even before I go put my boots on the ground, like on that new piece today, I already have an idea how the wind's going to work there and make, manipulate big white tails. Talking about manipulating the old guys for their favor. But yeah, as soon as we get the boots on the ground, when I'm out doing anything in the woods with, Involving whitetails, which means always it's the only thing I ever do in the woods other than cutting firewood And I still look for whitetails. Um As soon as I walk into like as soon as I got out of my pickup today And as soon as ty and I start putting our packs on I am purposely filling the wind across my face thinking about it The entire time I was out there today. I was checking the wind every different ridge we got on the thermals when we got on top of the ridge i'm constantly marked or thinking about those things and putting it in my memory bank of how the wind worked on this ridge this third ridge in this fourth ridge in and when you start gridding you cover so much ground that if you'll stop and just take or not stop like moving but if you're if you'll put your mind to work while you're out there instead of just walking through the excuse me the freaking woods if you'll put your mind to work and really like Ty says it all. You got to get locked in. You know, these college football players, you got to get locked in. Um, I hear him say that. I lock myself in and, and I think I got that from being an athlete and doing all that stuff where you have to be so zoned in and so in the zone that you're feeling all of those tiny little winds across your face and thermals bumping up and then winds changing when you walk across the ridge or when you get on top. I stop a lot for five seconds and I just... I just feel it. Mm-hmm. I feel it and I mentally note it and I don't forget it. Like it is in my mind. I don't have to type it in. I usually don't ever have to take those notes out in the woods. Those are just things that my brain has been trained for decades to remember. Okay. And it's because I want to be successful. Now, if you're not practicing that kind of thinking, you're not going to ever do it. You're just going to go for a walk in the woods. Right. But I, I really get in tune with, everything around me especially wind and thermals so I wind map by covering a ton of ground truly thinking about it and mapping it out in my mind and then then I'll get back home and look at my map say a day or two later and I'll look at that map and go yep that's what the wind was doing in that saddle yep that was what the thermal was doing on top of that Ridge oh that's what it was doing down in that bowl where we parked the pickup and then I, I cross reference that guys with every bit of Intel that we just picked up from doing eight miles and I put it all together and it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but you've got to think about those things. you got to like, you got to get rid of all of your distractions and you, you don't worry about what's going on at work or at home or anything. When I go to the woods, I don't think about shit, but whitetails. That's all I think about. I mean, hundred percent ties the same way we get out there. My other son, Jess, is the same way with bass. When he's out on a boat, he doesn't have anything on his mind but those fish and how the water and the temperature and everything's working. So I think we've all trained ourselves, and I think the boys, I don't know if they picked it up from me or just – it's kind of in their DNA too, but we're all that way in this house. We're very detailed. Mm -hmm. And we try to really pay attention to all the stuff
4: most people won't pay attention to. Wind is a very detailed-oriented – thing so you have to be very detailed that you can move 15 yards and the wind's doing (laughs) the completely opposite thing yeah in the mountains and you have to be able to note that and remember it and i think when it comes to my dad a lot of it is honestly predicted now when he can look at an emap he he knows pretty much what the wind's going to be doing and then it's going out there and checking off the boxes but then also noticing little nuances yep. around where he's like okay this is a little different a buck could use that this way and i could use it this way yep. it's it's wind mapping for yourself and the buck also it's not just the buck you got to map it where it makes sense for you to be able to kill a deer in that area too. yeah for sure. i mean i'm thinking of, yeah
3: i'm thinking about entrance exit i i put three great stand sites into my mind today guys and i'm telling you the place we went today is brand new. We never stepped foot on it. I think Ty would agree and he might not, but I think he'd agree. I'll bet you yeah, I have at least one stud buck out of those three spots. And I'll bet I have, yep. I'll bet I end up with two spots that work great. Big deer. But we talk about it openly. We have dialogue the whole time today about the wind, about where these deer are hanging, what they're doing every month of the year based on where we found the sheds. I mean, we're consciously talking about this stuff in our mind and to each other. When I'm by myself, I'm just running it through my mind. Will I again. will I come home and look at a map again and go, yep, it all makes sense now because yep. I just walked it. Yeah. Or like, like I have a north today, guys, that I couldn't get into. Ty and I didn't go into the north very far because snow got too deep. We were talking today about what I need to do in this north, to probably have my best stand site. Yep. Because of the way the wind works there and how I can access it. And because we know those big we too. know those bucks, those big tracks guess where they all led to today. Even even though there's 6 inches of snow in there, 8 inches, and the only reason we didn't dive in there today was because the snow was just deep enough guys that we had plenty of other easier ground to break down to take care of because we had cuz we wanted to get home in time for this. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, I, but
3: on a different day, Ty said it twice. He goes, man, dad, imagine if we had a 10 hour day today, 12 hour day. Yeah he, yes. goes, yeah. he goes, we would, but we were on a schedule. But again, we are mentally taking notes. My brain's always working a hundred miles an hour, but not, not chaotically. It is, it's processing always. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I've been doing it forever. I've trained myself to do this. I do not walk through the woods just to go for a walk. Everything is noticed. My head's on yeah. a swivel. When you train yourself to do that, David, you do it. And, and I bet you get better at it every year because I'm still getting better at it. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I, I and I've, watched, I've watched my son get better at it every year. And I see it like with his football and how detailed he is. And, you know, what a great student he's been at the game. And even a student in a classroom. The truth is he's freaking Locked in. These you got to be locked in. It's a mindset.
2: It's a mindset. Yeah, it's yeah. Mindset. yeah, I was gonna say, you know, for the listeners, when you when you hear Troy and Ty talking, you know, and Ty mentioned about how his dad's kind of got this locked right in with the wind, wind mapping, you know, just remember, all this is from years of experience, and it's from success and failures. I would bet. But when I'm hearing when I'm hearing you guys talk about this day's scouting. It's almost like, you know, you're when you're out there, you're looking at the biggest pitcher. You know, the year-round pitcher. You're not just focused on, hey, we're going shed hunting, let's go, let's go find uh you know, a handful of antlers. Or we're going scout we're going scouting, but we're only gonna go scout this point where it's like when you're out there, it's you're thinking about the 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 bigger picture, you know, the year round picture making the most of your time when you're out there, not just, not just, you know, one track minded to go check out one specific thing that day.
0: Yep.
4: Yeah. We broke down more country today than we walked. If that makes sense in our mind. hundred percent.
2: Yeah. And and, and, and I was going to ask too, like how much, how valuable is it? Like on a day like today, when you're really taking in everything, the wind, how you may hunt it in October or where this buck shed we're like you know when you're scouting a lot you know it's how important is it for you guys to like you know take in everything you can today so you don't necessarily have to come back until it's time to you know set a stand or build a scrape or you know you can move on to the next piece and keep covering you know because you got to have a back pocket full of spots you know where it's like there's been times I can remember early in my scouting years where it's like I would go scout something, but then I found myself coming back to it because I didn't learn everything I wanted to that first time. I didn't take it all in the first time I was in there.
3: Yeah. I, David, I'll bet you get more. I bet you're way better at getting locked in right now than you were 10 years ago.
2: Oh, 100%, buddy.
3: Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for going on. I mean, I didn't know shit when I was 12 years old, but I was trying. Mm-hmm. And I'm 53, so do the math. Yeah. And and it's and, and my life has revolved around this. Jess does the same thing with bass. When tie and tie fish is with him and they treat bass the same way as we treat our whitetails. I mean to a T. Wanna talk about locked in. These little shits were fishing for 12 hour days when they were how old boys?
4: Not old enough, probably. Nine and twelve <laughs> nine and twelve
3: years old would go fish for twelve hours straight who does that at nine and 12 by themselves? Yeah. And I'm talking about running their own little boat that I bought them. That was a 15 foot low boat. I just knew people would say, you're way too young to do that. Troy, you can't send them out there on that big Lake. Well, guess what? They love it. They get locked in. It's just, hunting bass is like hunting big whitetails. If you're not locked in and if you don't know everything biologically about them, you better start teaching yourself and teach yourself to get locked in so that, when you walk through the woods, I, I hate wasting time. I, I can't stand it. I, I've never been at, I hate to waste time when I'm out there. I don't have enough time to waste. Nobody has
0: enough time. <laughs> That's the thing.
3: So it's extremely fulfilling to me to go do something like we did today. Yep. Because you know what? We got some shit done and mm-hmm. we got to do it together as father and son. Ty is just, I mean, he, he and I are an extension of each other because he has spent so much time with me. He's not just an extension of me. He's so sharp that he runs stuff by me. And I go, yeah, yeah, Yeah. guy, you're right. You're like, his perspective sometimes is better than mine. I'm not closed minded and think I know it all. I don't, but we really hit stuff. Like we bounce stuff off of each other the whole day. Rarely do we ever disagree because we, our logic, we, we usually don't say anything unless it makes a lot of sense. Or if we're not quite sure, we ask questions. Like, yeah. what do you think here? What do you think? Yeah. I'll ask, I, I probably ask more, I probably ask Ty more questions than he asked me. Like, I'll ask him, Ty, what do you think about this? What do you think about, because I want his perspective. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yep. I, t- I tell you, Troy, it's, it's interesting. Neil, the comment you just said about asking him, in, in my opinion, some of the the best, in my like I said, in my opinion, some of the best whitetail hunters in the world or, or across the country they're they're such student of the games that they're not afraid to ask questions. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're talking to Ty where it's like, you know, Hey, Hey son, what do you think? You know, even though he's your son, like you're still thinking of him, but I can tell you one thing you boys have built a system of how to work. Like there, there is a true pottinger system for the whitetails out in, you know, Idaho and Washington. Yeah.
3: Definitely definitely a system for the mountain bucks hundred percent. And what, you know, what's really cool guys. When I go to Iowa, when I go, when I've been to Iowa, when I went, been to North Dakota, when I go to Oklahoma, the system really works. It's just a smaller scale. And for me, that's easier because I'm not looking as much, as much ground. Now, is it, is it necessarily easier to kill a five-year, six-year-old buck anywhere? You start getting into that upper age class, they're pretty damn freaking smart everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, you start getting to that deer that's made it four or five years anywhere. Okay. But I will say this, where there's less pressure and way less gun pressure, it has been a little easier. Why? Better numbers, just just pure numbers alone, do the math. Better numbers. Deer do behave a little bit different to me when I've been other places. I am extremely thankful that I grew up and cut my teeth and learned how to hunt mountain bucks with a bow and arrow out in this vast country just because I haven't experienced anything any more challenging to me yet. But I think if I had to go to like Michigan where you guys are, I'll tell you what, I would have to work my butt off to find a four or five year old deer. I get that. I, I just, I've never been there and yeah. I hear you guys talk about it. And to be fair to all the listeners, you guys might be hunting a three and a half year old deer. That's as smart as most five year old deer because of the pressure, you know, or as smart as a four year old deer when they're two and a half. And I do understand that because I watch my deer get really smart fast because of predators, because of the predators and a two month long rifle season. But my deer have an advantage over a lot of people. They have huge country in a lot of places to go, to go. Yeah. But they can't get away from the predators ever. They can get away from humans. They never get away from predators.
0: Yeah. And Troy, you nailed it. That's how we approach it here. Um, the, the two and three-year-olds are, uh, a little wiser beyond their years, you know, where a, a two or three-year-old out in the Midwest somewhere might be a little, I don't know if it's dumber or I don't know. I don't know, but here they are difficult to kill. You know, um, I gotta, I gotta, without saying too much, cause, um, the deer is still huntable. Um, you know, and I've talked to you about this deer, Troy, I found a a, a big deer on a piece of um, land in Michigan here. Um, and he is probably a three-year-old and he's made it through where a lot of hunters could hunt him. And they did hunt him. He made it through the year. And uh, I look at that and I'm like, how the hell, when we have a 28 gu- day gun season, uh, how the hell did a rifle season, let's put it that way, rifle season uh how the hell did you do that you know um he's smart he's been there
3: he's he's really smart too because he's getting hunted by you guys hunt places where there's somebody posted up every 100 yards every 200 yards that's just insane to me yeah you drive you drive down
0: a a county road here you're gonna see four or five box blinds on average on one ag field that may be 80 acres
3: yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I get that, you know, the whole, the education of a whitetail buck comes from his pressures, Mm -hmm. from stimulus response. Break it down biologically. The more stimulus response, negative stimulus they get at a younger age, guess what? They're either dead or they got, they worked through it and they got, they survived. They probably, they probably had a really bad scare two or three times. They're going to behave differently than an animal that has no negative stimulus response and gets... Gets, gets taken care of and left alone their entire existence until they're five, say, in a different state. There's no way you can argue that. So if you look at the biological reactions of all animals, it's based on their stimulus responses in their life over their how long they've been alive. That's just how it breaks down. Yeah. And they react accordingly to survive. 100%. So I think guys like you guys that have really had to hunt hard and hunt smart deer – I think you guys could come out here. I think the biggest obstacle like in this country would be the vastness, would the, of, it. Would be the vastness of it, would be the biggest obstacle. Yeah. I believe if you got on the right sign, that's why I say, that's why I listen to so many different people talk and do podcasts and stuff on deer because I always try to find a tiny little morsel of information that another smart dude brings up. Say either one of you guys or a lot of other guys out there, if I can get one morsel out of a person that helps me out here, think of something maybe a little different, it's worth me listening to, listening. You know, I'm not looking for the answer to everything because that's, that's like ridiculous to look for magic or the, you know, there's no, there is no one answer. It's detail, it's effort. Do we talk about effort enough? How many people are just too lazy to want to be really good at this? (laughs) A high percentage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, human yeah. Nature. It's human nature. You know, you want to be great. If you want to do things that are great in life, you better be willing to freaking sacrifice and make a commitment that most won't. Yep. And then, and then the rewards are just, they're just incredible. They're yep. just yep. very fulfilling. And you know, that's why we're all sitting here talking about what we love.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's why we can all agree that we'd, our love for the process is so great. You know, like we don't, we don't love just the end result. That's just a little icing on the cake where mm-hmm. we love the entire process of this whole damn thing.
3: Yeah. It, David, you said something a couple of weeks ago that I've always felt, and I just don't say it very much, but you said it, you said, don't go kill something just to kill. You said that. And I love mm-hmm. it because yeah every person that hunts and is going to kill an animal should be happy about what they kill. Mm -hmm. Don't just go kill to kill. Go out there and do what really makes you happy and teaches you and gets you excited and be happy with it. And don't worry about all this crap about what you're supposed to shoot or not kill what makes you happy, but also don't kill just to kill to, to appease others. And I think that's really important in our world nowadays it's something we don't, that we don't, that we didn't talk about 20 years ago, but nowadays with social media, I'm telling you, I love that. I love that. I love that. Don't just go kill to kill, go, go out and hunt for all those other reasons. And then when you get to the kill, it's so freaking rewarding when you get that kill, yeah. when you do that work. Yep. Agreed.
0: I, I couldn't agree more, man. Yeah. Well, fellas, I think this is probably a good spot. Do you think Troy to to kind of wrap it up here and just to kinda of, um, do a brief synopsis of like I think my 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 overview of, of today's I mean we're almost at two hours and, and the biggest takeaway I can take away from this is a be locked in, have a mindset, okay, and and have a plan. You know what I mean? It kind of all falls in the same, same realm there. Um, this was awesome fellas. This was great. Ty, I'm glad you could be on here with us because you, you brought some damn good points, man. Really good points. And, uh, it won't be the last time. I know it won't be the last time. Shit. We might be zooming in your dorm room. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If old dad can't
2: make it for an, an episode, maybe we'll just get you when you're at back at college.
0: Or we just won't tell the old man that we're gonna do it. We'll just start doing with you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey,
2: that'll be back and back at home trying to figure out how to get the internet up and running. <laughs> don't worry about
0: Trey. We'll just we'll just call Ty. <laughs> <laughs> no, no it, you, it,
3: you don't get you don't get to put me out to pasture yet, boy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all honesty,
2: uh, Troy, I tell you what, buddy, it's uh, getting to talk to Ty tonight. It's uh, you've done it, you and D have done a fantastic job raising yep.
0: those boys. Yep.
3: Thank Hell, you. Yeah. Well, that, that means more to me than killing big bucks.
0: I, I don't want to wrap it up just yet. Troy, I don't know if you remember, but you and David and I talked about doing one question that we were going to ask you that you have nothing. You have no idea what we're going to ask you. Um, right. So we're going to do that right now. Uh, DJ has got a question, but we did talk about that. It could be personal related or it could be hunting related. So, and you have no idea, you have no idea what this question is. So DJ, let her rip, buddy. All right, buddy. So Troy, you know, I've known you
2: for 10, 12 years at least. So I've actually, you know, it's been, it's been enjoyable to see the boys growing up. But with that said, they are growing up and you have learned over the, you know, the last 18 plus years to kind of manage your hunting, you know, with a full family at home. But now, life's changing and, you know, you and the wife, you know, are quickly becoming empty nesters. How are you gonna manage, you know, now like, you know, you're always gonna be dad, always gonna be a husband, but now it's like I don't wanna say full time husband. I I don't know how to say this properly, but like now you're gonna have to manage your time where it's it's just you and your wife at home. You know, we're like you know, she's not, you know, just running, you know, the boys around or whatnot where it's like now, now you got to manage hunting time and, you know, a lot of time with your, with your wife. Now i am just kind of curious, like, do you, do you see any change in how, you know, hunting, hunting may be affected or, you know, just your lifestyle may have to be, you know, fluctuated or anything like that.
3: Yeah. Dee and I are actually having so much fun now. Um, now you're thinking it wasn't fun with the kids. Well, you guys are raising kids. It is so much fun during that time raising kids, but it's a ton of work. And when you look back on it, you know, D and I now get to just have fun. Like we get to go out to dinner alone. We get to have quiet, peaceful time around the house all the time. We, we, I think we're having more fun in our life right now, like true fun in a, than in a long time, just because Because there's not so many super important uh, responsibilities, we always put the kids first. Like, my wife puts those kids first, and I do too, and that was always top priority, like burning in your mind, burning in your heart. Well, the boys are so independent now and doing their own thing and young men and kicking ass in life, and we're so proud of them, you know. They still come out. They get to see us a little bit. Tie with college football, we don't get to see him a ton, so we try to make the most of it. But we get to have a blast. So we're actually really having a good time together, obviously getting to go watch Ty play or go follow Jess at Bass tournaments. That's fun stuff for us. We're kind of getting to be – I feel like we're kind of getting to be kids again, yeah. like just together when nobody's around. Yep. And I really enjoy it. Uh, D has never – Ever been negative towards me and my hunting? She's always supported it. She knows me, so she knows the effort and detail I put into it, and she knows what truly makes it makes me happy. So she's very independent and just fine at home without me a lot of days. I almost I've said this before. It's like I kind of feel like she was married to a coach's. She's a coach's wife, but I'm not coaching. I'm chasing whitetails because I'm always out and about and gone. Mm -hmm. So. Probably the truth is I probably need to do more on my end, even more spending doing more things that are her type of thing. That's probably the one thing I could, I could improve on because she just lets me do what I do. Never complains. I should probably do more on my end even now that we have more free time, like probably a few more dinner dates or, you know, She likes me to get dressed up and I, and I'm not a real dress up guy, but she likes to go. She wants to go out and go on a nice date that I probably should have done 10 years ago and got all dressed up. Just, just things like that. I really believe once Ty's done with football, which I agree with you, Aaron, on where we think that should go, but we'll just, when he's done, I think we're going to transition into the boys next phases of their life. But I also think, that gives us a lot of time back too because we travel all the time. Yep. We travel a ton in the fall and that's when we're all whitetail hunting guys. So when I'm not traveling in the fall and just whitetail hunting, I feel like I'll have more time outside of the fall to even give more back to our marriage.
2: Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's really well said Troy, especially because I feel like I didn't ask the question really well. I knew what I was thinking in my head, but I I you know where it's like I I I don't want to come off saying anything wrong but it's it, I think you answered it perfectly buddy.
0: No, but you nailed it because now like you said you're 53 you're 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 almost I mean your boys are self sufficient. I've got a 5 year old. David's got a 14 year old and a 10 year old. Bailey's 10, right? Yeah. And and it's yeah. like, you know, I've got a 5 year old. I still got a young family. I still got heavy priorities. You know what I mean? And it's and uh the, what what is refreshing for me at 35 years old is to look at you at 53 and be like you know what you just grounded me a little bit I need to do more i I, I need to not look over that I need to do more with the wife like you know you got it you gotta keep that going all the time you know what I mean Depending so
4: your tail hunting can be fun. What's that? No, I don't mean that in a bad way at all. You know, things have to be good at home with your with your wife and kids before you can go out and truly have fun whitetail hunting or, or doing whitetail stuff. I, oh, yeah. I never,
3: I never ever felt good going to a tree stand if I wasn't right at home. Yep, yep. ever. And hey, and that affects your whitetail hunting. Yeah, <laughs> you don't get as you're not as locked in. Like it affects D, your
4: performance.
3: Dee always says it, and Dee's this easily. I mean, D's extremely like intuitive this way. When things are good at home, things don't have to be perfect. They got to be good and they got to be right. And uh, when th- we have, you know, our foundational values are dead on. But when things are good at home, to expand on what Ty said, I've always had my best scouts, my best hunts. Yep. I'm just a better hunter because you're locked in. I'm so so content. Or. Now I'm so like happy and proud of the fact that, yeah, I'm never home, but we have a solid marriage. And when things aren't good at home, I I've struggled and my mind isn't right. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to have my mind right all the time. Can it be right perfectly all the time? No. But when my mind gets wrong, because it's usually my fault, it's usually something I've done. I have to get back right with, with my wife or my kids or whatever isn't right. And then I'm just like, I'm really good at what I do out in the whitetail world if my priority of my family is just, they can sense it when it's, if they sense that whitetails are more important that day than them, that's not good. Right. But boy, when they know you're doing the right things at home as a dad and as a husband, then it's like, go get them. Freedom, go. And I have a lot of freedom, guys. I think I have a lot of freedom too because I don't stress about, I am not a stressor i am a go fix it get it right and don't stress about anything that's just how i operate my mind and i think a lot of it has to do with teaching school for 30 years you can't let shit stress you out you just can't you have to work through it but yeah aaron back to you nothing better than having mama like truly proud of you and happy and then boom you're gonna go out and kill it as a and all the stuff you're doing
0: yep i love it I love it, fellas. Well, let's wrap this bad boy up. Thank you guys very much again. Uh, We're going to do this again. Like I said, this is only episode one. We got a full season ahead of us, and I can't wait to unpack all these bags and uh, get all this information out there. So, thank you guys very much for doing this tonight.
4: Thank you.
3: Thanks for having us, guys.
0: Yeah,
2: thanks, fellas.